Topic of our Demo Talk this evening is Vedana Nupasana, namely mindful contemplation of feelings, with a particular emphasis on Sukha Vedana, namely pleasant feelings. And so we will continue with this Satna talk in our series of talks about Satna, the four establishments of mindfulness. And Satna, remember, we started out with the synopsis of Satna, the instructions. And Satna, then we went into Kaya Nupasana, Satipatthana, namely the mindful contemplation of Satna, the body. And in this context, we took a closer look at postures, and in particular, a closer look at what? Walking meditation. Yes, indeed. And Satna thought. The second contemplation is that of feelings, and the text from or the relevant passage from the synopsis on feelings is one abides contemplating feelings as feelings ardent and then clearly comprehending and certainly mindful having put away covetousness and discontent for the world. Now, when it comes to the term feeding, we, if we are not certainly very knowledgeable about certain Buddhist Abhidhamma as yet, then we may interpret feeling to be an emotion. So we interpret it certainly from a modern psychological point of view. And an emotion, however, from a Buddhist perspective, is certainly or could be understood as a complex coming together of different mental factors. And by feeling, we do not mean getting totally, let's say, over overjoyous. And certainly we also don't mean getting totally sad about something, being very excited, and just displaying a lot of, well, emotions. So it's not certainly that, but rather the Pali term Vedana, translated as feeling, refers to the affective quality of an object. So let's say some soothing sensation has arisen somewhere in the body and then there's the soothing sensation itself, this is one thing, and then we have a pleasant quality to the experience and it's that is our pleasant feeling. And so do distinguish here between the actual physical sensation 
um, or you know, datum if you like to, and uh, you know, then you know, the you know, effective quality that goes along with it. Now, feeling just like uh, any other of uh, the uh, mental uh, factors as uh, defined in uh, the Buddhist uh, Abhidhamma uh, has a certain characteristic, it has a certain function, certain uh, manifestation, and uh, also approximate cause. And so uh, the characteristic of uh, feeling is being felt, Vedayita in the Pali uh, scriptural language. And then, as for, so maybe to elaborate on this a little bit more, so the characteristic in the case of mindfulness would be to, well, observe, or would be the non-superficiality of our attention. And then in the case of calmness, the um, yeah, in the case of calmness, it's uh, the characteristic would be uh, quietude, the dying down of uh, uh, disquiet. And so, in the case of uh, feeling, it is just uh, a certain experience, a certain uh, physical or uh, mental experience object is being felt. That's uh, uh, its uh, particular uh, characteristic. And uh, then its function is very close, um, given as experiencing. Or uh, a secondary uh, function is to enjoy uh, the desirable aspect of uh, the object. Now, the Visuddhi Magga, when we take the translation by Venerable Bhikkhu Nyanamori, gives the function as to intensify associated states. And to intensify is certainly in the sense of either, well, intensify well, the pleasant experience or to have a certain impact on the other mental states. And in the case of an unpleasant feeling, it contributes to the withering of the mind. Now, its manifestation is the relishing of the associated mental factors, so enjoying them. And its proximate cause is certainly given as certain tranquility. Now, the text certainly given illustration for this mental factor of feeding, namely that of a chef and preparing a meal for a king, and then the king. Now, when it comes to the chef, when preparing a meal for the king, the chef will sample the various dishes just a little bit here and there. 
um, and said, not certainly, the chef will not be eating the entire meal. Whereas the king is when the meal has been served, then will be relishing, will be experiencing the entire or all of the dishes in their entirety. So um, the mental factor of feeling is like the king um, relishing all those certain many you know, dishes fully, whereas the chef is more like the other mental factors you know, that you know, experience the quality of an object only in a derivative manner. So there's an important difference there. Now, when it comes to the instructions given in the Satipatthana Sutta on feelings, we have quite some extensive instructions. And uh, you know, those instructions certainly then you know, are of uh, or consist of two you know, groups, and you will you know, soon see you know, the difference. Now, as for you know, the first you know, set of instructions, when feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a pleasant feeling. Then, when feeling an unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unpleasant feeling, and. When feeling a neutral feeling, one knows I feel a neutral feeling. So far, so good. Most of us will be familiar with this. Now, the less known part is as follows, namely, when feeling a worldly, pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly, pleasant feeling. Feeling. And when feeling an unworldly pleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly feeling. And the same distinction then between worldly and unworldly is also made with regard to unpleasant feelings and with regard to neutral feelings. So when feeling a worldly unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel a worldly unpleasant feeling. And when feeling an unworldly unpleasant feeling, one knows one one knows I feel an unworldly, unpleasant feeling. Then, when feeling a worldly, neutral feeling, one knows I feel a worldly, neutral feeling. And finally, when, when feeling an unworldly, neutral feeling, one knows I feel an unworldly, neutral feeling. Now, the Pali term for worldly is samisa, and samisa sometimes also in older translations is certainly being translated as carnal, so somewhat related to the senses, connected with the senses, sense pleasures, and niramisa is the Pali term for unworldly. Sometimes you know, this term also has been translated as spiritual, you know, spiritual you know, feeling. 
So a pleasant feeling then consists of or has a further subdivision as worldly and unworldly and unpleasant feeling, dukkha vedna, then gets subdivided into worldly and unworldly and the neutral feeling, adukha, masukha in Pani also gets further subdivided into worldly and unworldly. And certainly this distinction is certainly important we will see in a moment or two. Now, the path of discrimination, the so-called Patisambhida Magga, which is one of the fundamental works on meditation practice itself, ascribed to the elder Sariputta, explains worldly pleasant feelings as those related to the six sense pleasures. So, related a pleasant word, a pleasant feeling that arises when we see some desirable object, when we hear some, let's say, sweet voice or sound, some desirable sound. Maybe we hear our preferred music, our favorite music, and then. A worldly pleasant feeling is likely to arise when we come across some fragrant scent and then a worldly pleasant feeling is likely to arise when we have lunch and then some specialty is there, some particular type of food that is very much to our liking. And then uh, now there could also be a worldly pleasant feeling arising with regard certainly, to you know, some desirable you know, physical you know, experience such as a chill or a thrill or you know, maybe a you know, very soothing uh, ex yeah, let's say some softness, extreme softness, smoothness and certainly so on. And so you know, then there, a worldly pleasant feeling may also arise with regard to some mental objects such as maybe a pleasant memory. So maybe while you're sitting in meditation, the memory of some rather nice outing that you participated in a few years back comes up. And that then will be associated or accompanied by a pleasant, worldly pleasant feeling. Now, as for the unworldly pleasant feeling, well, it arises related to renunciation. And renunciation is that we renounce our worldly activities, at least on a temporary basis, and then we participate in a meditation retreat, we do either samatha practice or vipassana practice, and then all sorts of well, desirable experiences or, or all sorts of 
wholesome experiences might arise, let's say, like you know, the uh, arising of calmness, mental state of calmness, peacefulness, and certainly this then will be accompanied by an unworldly, pleasant feeling. Or you know, when your mindfulness you know, um, previously was certain, rather you know, dull and certain, now you know, owing to a further development in your you know, meditation practice, your you know, mindfulness you know, has become rather sharp, rather dynamic and certain, quick and you know, penetrating whatever predominant object comes up. So you know, this certain experience you know, then may also be accompanied by an unworldly, pleasant feeling. Oh, Venerable Gunaratana, a Sri Lankan scholar, scholar monk and meditator who or meditation teacher has defined pleasant feeling as associated with greed and directed to pleasurable forms, sounds, smells, tastes and tangibles and this is then known as sensual happiness whereas well the happiness associated with wholesome you know, roots produced by renunciation of sensual enjoyments is unworldly or spiritual uh, happiness, niramisa sukha, or also you know, known as you know, the pleasant feeling of renunciation, nekamatna sukha. Uh, in the case, uh, let's say, if we were you know, to practice you know, the jhanas, you know, then mm, mm, or joy might you know, arise, and you know, this you know, then you know, will be accompanied by um, a pleasant, uh, unworldly uh, you know, feeling. Now, in the case of unworldly, pleasant or neutral feelings, these occur during deep concentration, or unworldly, unpleasant feelings may arise owing to dissatisfaction with one's own spiritual imperfection. And the explanation here is, that when a meditator, for instance, experiences the so-called certain ten imperfections of insight and certainly gets caught up in those imperfections, namely in experiences of related to illumination and then rather keen knowledge and then joy and tranquility and happiness and then faith and then strong or determined effort, strong mindfulness, equanimity, and the last one is attachment. So in this regard, if one gets caught up in one of these imperfections and then experience it 
uh, it over and over and over again, you know, and it's taking a long you know, time, then gradually you know, some you know, dissatisfaction might arise. How come you know, my practice is not moving ahead and I keep experiencing the same you know, thing all over again? So this would qualify as unworldly, unpleasant uh, feeling. So the difference here between worldly and certain unworldly is certain that as the Buddha saw or experienced or realized for himself in his youth and then later on, there's an, a difference here between worldly feelings that have certain uh, consequences, unwholesome you know, consequences, and certainly then you know, experiencing you know, feelings that are you know, connected you know, with you know, um, certain uh, experiences in you know, one's certain meditation practice, like in the jhana you know, practice. And certainly, so you know, like you know, when one experiences a certain you know, jhana, then you know, this is certainly not necessarily um, leading to um, craving. Now, why is it that you know, the Buddha you know, recommended you know, the contemplation of you know, feelings. He could have easily you know, chosen you know, some other you know, mental factor and have everyone uh, observe you know, that. So you know, maybe he could have uh, um, encouraged you know, people you know, to you know, be mindful of you know, maybe Know, things like you know, wise attention or you know, whatsoever. It is you know, because you know, feeling plays you know, such an important role and you know, because of you know, the you know, conditional relation between feelings and latent you know, tendencies, latent tendencies you know, to lust, irritation, and certain you know, ignorance that you know, the Buddha you know, placed much you know, uh, emphasis on you know, the contemplation of you know, feelings. So when you know, we uh, carefully observe you know, formations in certain, in particular, you know, we you know, observe you know, feelings, you know, then we can you know, see you know, for ourselves certain rather you know, quickly how uh, a pleasant certain feeling you know, then may you know, quite naturally lead to you know, the arising of certain craving. And if we come across certain some unpleasant you know, feeling, you know, then it certainly may easily activate uh, uh, irritation. And certainly in the case of you know, well, you know, a neutral feeling, this may easily lead to you know, the arising of certain ignorance.
subordinate to the activation of fatna, the respective fatna, the mental state. So, um, by not being mindful of pleasant and pleasant and neutral feelings, easily then some unwholesome states arise or get activated in the mind. So if previously the mind was somewhat neutral, maybe even unwholesome, now because of the lapse in our mindfulness, then some unwholesome states get activated. And once one has certainly seen this certain connection, then one might be more interested in paying closer attention to the feelings and to be mindful of those. Now, in the second volume of the Diganikaya, section 58, the Buddha then speaks of a connection between feeling and craving. And he says, if there were absolutely no feeling, feeling born out of eye contact, and then out of ear contact, nose contact, tongue, and certain body contact and mind contact, in the absence of all feeling, with the cessation of feeling, could craving appear? And the answer given by Ananda was no. And then the Buddha goes on to say, therefore, just this is the root, is the cause, is the origin, the condition for craving, namely feeling. So, in the presence of feeling, a craving is certainly likely to, or in the presence of a particular pleasant feeling, craving is likely to arise. And all of this is important in the context of conditionality, where, well, based on ignorance arise certain karmic formations, and these then lead to consciousness, these in turn lead to mind and matter, mind and matter leads to the arising of the sense bases, and then dependent on the sense bases arises contact, but dependent on contact arises feeling, and then dependent on feeling arises craving, and based on craving arises clinging, upadana, and based on this then arises existence, and based on this arises birth. No, so first existence, and then based on existence arises birth, and then dependent on birth arise decay and death, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair. And so formations are conditionally related, and so and if we're not certainly mindful of a feeling, then this may have major consequences. Now, to give you a worldly example for this, 
Let's say uh, a young man comes across a young woman. And then there's a mutual attraction there. And so, or first there's contact, so both meet each other. And then there is a feeling that arises, namely, most likely a pleasant feeling. And since this pleasant feeling is so pleasant, it likely, well, craving for more of the same might arise. And then eventually this may lead even to a clinging. So then there's not just craving for more contact and more of the pleasant feeling, but then even clinging to this. And this then, in turn, will lead to maybe an existence together. And so there are certain very basic things that do play an important role. And then, if uh, you know, things don't quite certainly work out as uh, in, you know, first envisioned, you know, then you know, the whole um, partner or, or you know, relationship might certainly break up, and certainly then one might, the young man might come across or come in contact with another woman, the woman might come in contact with another man, and then the whole thing might start all over again. Now, meditators certainly have reported that, for instance, upon seeing, or sorry, upon experiencing a pain, and the pain then is certainly intensifying, and the pain is accompanied by an unpleasant feeling, then some aversion arises. And the aversion, in turn, then may easily lead to the arising of restlessness. Now, the mental factor of feeling is part of those seven universal mental factors. And this means that it arises with all consciousness, no matter what the consciousness may be, whether it's ethically wholesome or unwholesome or neutral. The a feeling will be there, one out of those three feelings. And 
the a passage uh, from the second volume of the Diga Nicaia, namely uh, section 68, uh, uh, explains uh, further, when a pleasant uh, feeling is felt, no painful or neutral feeling is felt, but only pleasant feeling. When a painful feeling is felt, no pleasant or neutral feeling is felt, but only a painful feeling. And when a neutral feeling is felt, yet no pleasant or painful feeling is felt, but only a neutral feeling. So it's one or one and not the others. It's one at a time, one out of those three. Now, when we let's say when we're together with our you know, friends and certain you know, family and that let's you know, let's say you know, we're you know, sitting together and so, you know, maybe happily you know, chatting you know, chatting away and so, oh, you know, maybe uh, eating some you know, some cakes and you know, what not yeah, then a pleasant you know, feeling is most likely you know, to accompany you know, this experience. And so, you know, then sooner or later, as the hours suddenly go by, it's suddenly time to say you know, goodbye. And suddenly then, what will happen to the pleasant feeling? Jim? <laughs> well, <laughs> it could turn into an unpleasant feeling. It could also turn into a neutral feeling. So the point is that that pleasant feeling from the reunion with friends and family will not last forever. So a pleasant feeling like any other feeling is rather transitory in nature. And so, um, and so many people don't really see this and basically when they go through life they just hop from one place or trying to hop from one place and experience to another. So we go to the movies in order to see a fascinating movie and hopefully this will generate some pleasant feelings. And so and then maybe you know, we feel you know, somewhat certain down and certainly then we decide to you know, go you know, to you know, to have a dinner you know, together with you know, some of you know, really you know, good certain you know, friends so basically you know, as human beings we tend to arrange our life in such a way you know, that uh, uh, a maximum of pleasant feelings that you know, comes up and uh, will this always work Obviously not. And so, neutral or unpleasant feelings are likely to come up in between. Now, the arising of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings can be, and, and their transitory nature, can be compared you know, to clouds in the sky, which get blown you know, across you know, the sky you know, by uh, you know, the wind. And certain, a cloud may easily you know, disperse, and then uh, at a later point you know, form you know, again. 
Now, as certain human beings, we love to do well to identify with feelings, in particular the pleasanter ones. And so then it's I am feeling great, or at other times it could be I'm feeling rather rather bad, and so. Then sometimes also there could be a neutral feeling, then an identification with this. And one of the purposes of carrying out this contemplation of feelings is to show that ultimately speaking, does this identification with feelings make sense or not? It doesn't make goodness sense at all. And so, you know, there is no self or I or being you know, behind uh, you know, these certain uh, feelings. They you know, just certain uh, arise of their you know, own accord. Now, as mentioned already in one of uh, the you know, earlier you know, talks, you know, when it's uh, you know, when we experience a certain object, you know, then like let's say like a pain at first it might be accompanied by an unpleasant feeling and then gradually in the course of the observation with more equanimity it might turn into a neutral feeling and then again at a later point in the practice when this pain comes back and we very much are looking forward to it because we know it helps us to build concentration, then that pain might be accompanied by a pleasant feeling. And so then more or less with regard to one and the same object, namely a pain, various feelings certainly could arise. It could be a pleasant feeling, it could be a neutral feeling, it could be an unpleasant feeling. Now, neutral feelings, neither painful nor pleasant feelings, Adukra, Masukra, Vedana in the Pali scriptural language, are easy to detect or not. They are not easy to detect, and actually it takes a while. First of all, one needs to become familiar with the pleasant feelings, and then also one needs to recognize unpleasant feelings. And then once one is clear about those two, then it could then one might notice there are certain periods when the predominant feeling experience is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. Pleasant, and certainly then you know, this certainly could be you know, then uh, assumed to be a neutral you know, feeling. Now it is certainly said with regard you know, to you know, the contemplation of you know, feelings, satipatthana, that you know, this contemplation, similar to you know, the contemplation of you know, the body, you know, may you know, lead a meditator all the way you know, to you know, the realization of you know, arahantship. 
Yes, so yeah, this certain you know, contemplation has a tremendous certain you know, potential. Now, and earlier on, we spoke about uh, conditional relations, and so, um, these are important also in the context of uh, the arising of uh, um, well, a certain feeling, certain kind of feeling. Now, there is a passage in you know, the Diga Nikaya, namely um, the Silakana, the Wagas in, in the Samanyapana the Sutta, Verse 75, that is being quoted frequently, and if I'm not mistaken, also occurs in other places. And it speaks of when one knows that the five hindrances have um, well faded away, have been overcome, then quite naturally what will arise? Pleasant feeling, not quite yet. So when the hindrances have faded away, then concentration arises. You are all ahead. <laughs> Pardon me? Yes, we're getting closer there. So first, gladness arises, pamoja or pamuja. And gladness is... A minor form of joy, of pity. And so it arises because one no longer has or is subject to the hindrances, and also because one has managed to overcome the pains and aches for a while, so difficult physical experiences. And this then, when gladness has been experienced or is being experienced for a while, then the gladness gradually becomes turns into joy. And so beauty. And the joy itself at first may still be somewhat certain coarse, but gradually becomes more and more refined, and certainly then leads to a stilling of the body. So in other words, the physical situation that corresponds to the mental factor of tranquility. And the stilling of the body, in turn, then is certainly the prerequisite for you know, the stilling of the mind. And then only, once the mind has certain, you know, become stilled, then you know, no, 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 sukha, happiness, is certainly likely you know, to uh, arise in the mind. And certain, so pleasant certain feeling you know, will be there. And this, in turn, as some of you have mentioned earlier on, then contributes to the arising of concentration. So we have a very clear-cut description of how one thing leads to the other. And when hearing reports by meditators, it is indeed that certain things are happening more or less according to this formula. So. Um, the, just uh, for the sake of uh, completion, the Pali for uh, this is 
tasime panchanivarane pahine atani samanupasantna pamojam jayati pamudita sa piti jayati piti manasa kayo pasambati pasadakayo sukam vedeti sukino chaitam samadhi yati Now, once, or let's say, in the, your meditation practice, you, know, you have observed the feelings um, hundred, a hundred thousand times. You've observed uh, pleasant feelings, unpleasant feelings, and neutral feelings. And certainly you've observed and certainly clearly seen how um, you know, these certain pleasant you know, feelings activate certain lust or you know, craving and clinging, and then how an unpleasant feeling easily activates irritation, and how a neutral feeling you know, activates certain ignorance. So if you've seen this a hundred thousand times, or maybe even a million times, then you know, will you still you know, be... You know, much attached to feelings or not? Uh, most likely not. And certainly, so this is you know, what certainly happens for arahants. And certainly, so for you know, those who have you know, totally eradicated all you know, defilements, and certainly, so arahants, to make this very clear, what do you think? Do they still experience feelings or not? They do. That's correct. And however, their way of dealing with them is certainly different. And certainly so they are free from lust towards pleasant feeling, free from aversion towards painful feeling, and free from ignorance about neutral feeling. And so they show, or an arahant, according to the text, let's say one reference would be the third volume from the Majjhima Nikaya, section 244, which corresponds to the 140th discourse. So an arahant assumes a detached attitude towards certain feelings. He or she is no longer swayed by pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings. And so sometimes meditators assume that, wrongly assume, that with the attainment of arahantship, then also. You know, the mental factor of feeling Vedana Chetasika gets uprooted from the stream of consciousness, but this is not certainly the case. And certainly there are passages in the text that report or describe the Buddha well being mindful and clearly mindfully and clearly comprehending like an unpleasant feeling when he had to when he well suffered an injury and then his foot was profusely bleeding but 
the Buddha observed this experience or handled it with much detachment. Now, since quite a number of you have lately experienced sukha, it might be sukha as part of the imperfections of insight, but also earlier on when overcoming the hindrances, then it might be worth to explain a little bit more about this. So, this sukha tends to arise during the tenderness stage of the inside knowledge of the arising, fast arising, passing away of formations. And in the absence of mindfulness, when this pleasant feeling or happiness occurs, then easily it certainly may lead to a craving. And the practical experience is, let's say you've had a you know, wonderful sit and certainly lots of pleasant feeling was there, lots of happiness certainly was certainly there, and certainly then you know, the thought comes up, it would be nice if I could experience certainly this happiness again. And a second certain possibility would be well this happiness comes up and then it's so overwhelming that then a sense of pride and conceit arises and then we feel like the top notch meditator here in this certain group and Another possibility would be based on that same happy experience. Then a wrongful view arises, mistaking the experience to be an experience of Nibbana, thinking Nibbana is said to be accompanied by happiness, and this is not the case yet. So there's further to go. Now, the Dhamma Sangani, which is the first volume of the Abhi or first Abhidhamma work, defines happiness sukha in the following words. Namely, it says it is mental ease and happiness, mental ease and happiness born out of full contact with mind. And then other modern expressions for it would be pleasantness, bliss, or pleasure. Now, some of the retreats, or some among us here, have had some exposure to samatha practice, and thus, in the context of the samatha practice, how did you experience the sukha? So please, samatha meditators to uh, the forefront. 
What was your experience of sukkah like? Yes, Buckley. It could take different forms. It didn't always come up the same way. Yeah, such as um, giddiness. Giddiness. <laughs> oh, 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 giddy. Oh. <laughs> well, not giddy. I heard giddiness when you're. <laughs> you mean. Oh, <laughs> ah, not so bad. Yes, good. Yes, and then Doris? Yes, good. And so then usually you know, what happens on the face? A smile will be there. And so there's still some more. Coolness in the body. Uh, yes, that could be. And so, no, then anything else? No, yes, Bakri, one more time. Well, I really didn't identify it, but I was told that this was a manifestation. It was just, there was so much comfort in the body. Ah. Yes, indeed. So, no, an absence of foot and pains and aches. Yes. Very good. And Robert? You can sit for hours and jump right up without any pain. That certainly might be the case. And other other statements that have been made or experiences that have been related by the meditators about sukkah arising as part of the samatha practice is well there's a great sense of relaxation of the body and the mind is this correct and then there's an overall sense of well-being and then there's a sense of enjoyment passive enjoyment and then Mm-hmm. A certain, mm, the mind is somewhat light-hearted. So on the, not, well, not fully bursting into laughter, but you know, somewhat you know, seeing the joyous you know, or, or the happy side of you know, things. Pardon me? Yes, yes, mm-hmm. and certainly then the breathing might be quite deep at such a point, and meditators tend to experience a certain contentment, and certainly then, what do you think? That happiness experience in you know, the samatha meditation is rather an agitated type of happiness, or rather calm? Calm, yes, and certainly then, and then with vibrations in the body or without. With, with, without vibrations. Uh. <laughs> so, anyways, 
Now, fortunately, or to make and to really state the point, uh, sukha happiness is an experience that is not limited to the samatha practice at all. And it might certainly just as well arise in the Vipassana practice. So Samatha meditation, meditators do not have a privilege to <laughs> privilege access to Sukha. And so, so Vipassana meditators usually would certainly say there's a general sense of well-being. And certain Vipassana meditators also say you know, there is a, sen- a general sense of relaxation of the body and certain, you know, relaxation and certain, you know, no, you know, no major discomfort. And certain, you know, then there's a form of sublime happiness. And, certain, and then you know, there is bodily as well as mental ease. And one meditator in Lumbini described this situation by saying it is as if one had just received a full body massage. (laughs) And that nicely gives you an idea of it. And so there's a certain pleasantness to it, a bliss, and then bodily and mental enjoyment and the body feels like rubber. Now, to help with the distinction of or, or discernment of various mental factors, it might be useful to just briefly take a, a short excursion into the mental factor of joy in order to see the difference between joy and happiness. And these are indeed not the same. No, the same Dhamma Sangani describes a joy as a delightful satisfaction, as delight, as intense, profuse delight, also as freshness, as superb freshness, as satisfaction, and then exaltation, and then modern terms for it, it would be, well, the emotion of joy, of rapture, of zest, or in other words, keen enjoyment, enthusiasm, excitement, elation, interest, and euphoria, joyful, joyful interest, keen interest we have there, and then exuberance. Can you think of any other term? No. <laughs> now, the Venerable Nesayadu Pandita Bhibhamsa, when he speaks of joy, then he says, he describes it as, well, a bubbly energy, whereas in the case of happiness, of sukha, it is much calmer. So it's not sudden having this bubbly, uh, bubbly energetic uh, uh, quality to it. And so this sudden might be very helpful to see the distinction between or the difference between the two. Now, 
in the case of uh, joy, the its uh, its definition is certain as follows, namely, it has the characteristic of endearing. So when it's certain present, then um, it certain will make you or others will want to become close to you and want to be friends with you. And its function is to refresh the mind and the body, which is very true. And its function is also secondary function, is to pervade and to thrill the body with rapture. And it is manifested as elation. Quite different from this is the classical definition for Sukhatna Vedna, and its characteristic is given as experiencing a desirable, tangible datum, and its function is to intensify the associated states. It is manifested as bodily enjoyment, and its proximate cause is the body faculty. Now, to conclude today's Satna Dhamma talk with a particular Dhamma part of verse, namely 374. Namely, every time one clearly comprehends the arising and perishing of Satna the Khandas, one finds joy and gladness. That to the wise is the way to. Nibbana, and made the experience of joy, of tranquility, of happiness, sukha and other states made those lead you on to further explore the Dhamma and to more more purify the mind and eventually may it lead you to the happiness of Nibbana. And may this happen either during this retreat or some retreat in the near future. And this is it for now. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.